Hi, I'm James Gardner, host of Your History, Your Story, a podcast for everybody who loves stories about interesting people and events told by those who uncovered them from within their own family trees. This, we hope, will inspire you to discover and celebrate your history and your story. In early 2021, life was really good for Brian and Dorothy Bayford. Married for over 20 years, they had a blended family of eight children, three of which they adopted together, and they also had many grandchildren. Dorothy was very active at her church and in her community, and together with Brian had recently launched a new business. Later in 2021, life changed for the Bayfords when both Brian and Dorothy contracted COVID. Brian recovered from the illness, but Dorothy's health declined and she was eventually hospitalized due to severe problems breathing. Because Dorothy was loved by so many friends and family, Brian found it difficult to keep up with all the calls and messages from those people seeking updates on Dorothy's condition. It was then that Brian decided to begin posting daily video messages on Facebook, many from Dorothy's hospital room, to keep everybody updated. Sadly, after a courageous struggle of 10 weeks, Dorothy succumbed to her illness. On the day Dorothy passed, Brian's post was titled, My Bride, My Best Friend, My World. In this episode of Your History, Your Story, we will be speaking with Brian Bayford about his wife Dorothy and her fervent love of God, family, and country. He will also tell how, in addition to updating friends and loved ones, his posts helped him express the deep love he had for his wife. As Brian seeks to carry on his wife's legacy, he draws strength from his faith and family and is determined to encourage others to show love to one another each and every day. I'd now like to welcome Brian Bayford to our show. Welcome, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're about to hear from you a story about really your love for your wife and the way you communicated your love to others who may have been going through similar things. But your story is very heartwarming, and we're just very blessed to have you on our podcast today. So, Brian, I'd like to start off by asking you, where were you born and raised? Where did you grow up? Well, the first few years of my life, I was in Hawthorne, New Jersey. And mid-year, mid-school year of fourth grade, we um, moved to Ringwood. And uh, so grew up in Ringwood most of my formative years. Were you from a big family? Nope. My brother and myself and our parents, just four of us. Oh, okay. And what are some of your early memories growing up, some of your fond memories? Well, you know what? The town of Ringwood is such a beautiful town. I, I love the lakes and the streams and the hills and uh, the woods, which is where I spent so much of my time growing up, you know, building tree forts and did a lot of swimming and, and water skiing up at Greenwood Lake. And, you know, as I get a little bit older, I became a ski instructor at Mount Peter in Warwick, New York, which wasn't very far away. It's an amazing area. Yeah, my wife Kelly grew up in the same town, so she used to tell me or she tells me about uh, all the opportunities for swimming and boating and things like that, so it, it does sound like a kid's paradise. It absolutely was. Dirt biking, thats that was the big thing for me when I was a kid, it was dirt biking. Dirt biking? Did you ever get hurt? I've heard some people can get into some accidents with that stuff. 
as a child, I bounced pretty well. It wasn't that big a deal. But as I get older and, and after I moved to Virginia, I actually got into racing. My two sons and I used to race motocross and all over Maryland and Virginia. And one of the last times I was on a track in Virginia, I actually had a pretty bad wreck and fractured most of my ribs and my sternum. And that was the last time I was on a track. Mm, well, that makes sense. It's the last time. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're okay now, Brian. Now, those are a lot of interests. Do you have any other interests or hobbies that uh, you developed over the years? I'd say my biggest hobby is disc golf, which most people have no idea what that is. I played around this morning in Florida. The sport started somewhere around 77, 76 and I came down to Virginia to visit my brother in 77, and he was in the Navy. He taught me to play then. I believe he beat me the first game, and I don't think he's beat me since, but uh, I do love the sport. I, I have a 26-hole course in my yard in Virginia. Really? I don't do things little. It's always big. Got to go big. <laughs> well, maybe sometime we could come down and play around. That would be fantastic. Uh, I enjoy it. Anytime I can do it, I try to get on a course. That's great. So that's kind of relatively new compared to regular golf, but it's like pickleball. I'm hearing a lot of people talk about pickleball now instead of tennis. Yeah, I haven't tried that yet, but I probably will. <laughs> but I like disc golf because you're in the woods, you're doing a lot of walking. Typically, it's several miles of walking. I don't have to wear plaid pants like if I was playing regular golf. So I, I enjoy it. <laughs> so, Brian, tell us about like after high school, what, what happened with you? What was your life like? So I came to visit my brother, as I said, in Virginia, and I realized what an amazing place and decided to move in 1982. So you're a Southerner now? Yeah, I say y'all instead of you guys. I've, I've lost my use guys about uh, almost 15 years ago, and, and now I'm at the y'all stage. Do you still slam the horn when people pull in front of you and things like that, or, or are you no, no more Southernized? I'm an exceptionally even keeled driver. I drive probably 40,000 miles a year. So I have to be pretty even keeled with it. Yeah, you better be. Now, Brian, this story that you're about to share with us is largely about your wife, Dorothy, and your relationship with her. But Dorothy was your second wife, correct? Yes. Could you tell us about your first wife, Jeannie, and how you met her and what life was like with her? Absolutely. I was um, working for a water treatment company in Gloucester, Virginia. And uh, one of the service guys and I went out to a um, one of our local drinking establishments in town. And I was a single man. And there were two ladies sitting at the table. And I saw one and I said, wow, look at her. And uh, so we went over and introduced ourselves and they allowed us to join them. And I sat down. She asked me my name and I said, Brian. She said, stay away from me. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry, did I do something? She said, my last husband was a Brian and my boyfriend before him was a Brian. So just stay away. <laughs> so I looked at my friend, Steve, and I said, this is going to be a challenge, but watch me go. <laughs> Are you sure it wasn't the leisure suit you were wearing? I, there was no leisure suit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> or plaid pants. So what happened then? Well, um, we dated a while. Got along fantastic. She was working at a uh, auto parts store at the time. And um, she had a daughter and I had a daughter. And um, we ended up getting married and 
had one together. So that's my first three girls. Uh, after six years of marriage, um, we started a program called Hunters for the Hungry in our state. I did it through the church we were attending. And um, we were delivering about 3,000 pounds of venison each year to 80 families. Well, she went by our church to go to the freezers to get some meat for delivery. And on her way leaving the church, and she had her three daughters with her, somebody hit the rear end of her vehicle. Well, I was uh, traveling home from work at the time, and I was stuck in traffic and uh, didn't know what was happening. I could see some blue lights. And, um, you know, as I see an accident or a problem like that, I typically pray for the person as I'm creeping forward, as getting closer and closer, I'm praying for that person or the family or, you know, whatever's happened. And as I got close enough, I said, oh, my God, that's my Ford Explorer. So I pulled right in, and um, it, it was a crazy evening, absolutely crazy. My three daughters all went to different hospitals, which made life difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, two of them were airlifted. And then they told me, they said, your wife didn't make it. Oh, no. So, I mean, right on the spot. So we, very difficult. What a terrible shock that must have been for you. And then and then to have your daughters in different hospitals to try to care and comfort them as well. Yeah, luckily, my uh, my brother and my father and uh, other friends and family all went to different places to help out. And I had this amazing church family that uh, just really chipped in. And oh, my gosh, the, the men did things around my house. The teenagers did yard work. The women were bringing food to my home. They did so much, I'd say, stop, or I'll never learn to do this. Oh. Well, yeah, it was pretty amazing. What Church family is important. Oh, it absolutely is. What a blessing to have those people around you at that time, because it would have been almost insurmountable grief. But not only the grief, but the care you still had to give for your family and the things that had to be done and taken care of uh, to have that support around you must have been just a, a true blessing. It definitely was. Like I said, church family is huge and, and biological family, yeah. friends. It's, I mean, it's all important. Priceless. And, you know, the type of person that you are makes a big difference as to how you're treated when you really need that help. Yes. And you're in the process of feeding people with venison. That is a, a, what a wonderful organization you were building together with Jeannie. Yeah. And I continued it more than 20 years. I really just stopped doing it in the last couple of years. Sometimes you got to pass the mantle on to somebody else. Yeah, definitely. Brian, what happened in the, the following years? How did you and your family sort of adjust to life without Jeannie? Well, I've always been a hard worker. That's kind of been my focus. You know, God, family, and, and uh, you know, the things that you have to build in order to support your family, which to me was business. And I was working with a, uh, a water company at the time, and I was doing sales. And shortly after that had happened, I just felt like I needed to be an entrepreneur. I needed to work for myself. I didn't want to work. I didn't want to keep working for another company. I started looking at numbers and realizing, hey, I'm getting paid you know, $35,000 a year. I just made them over a million dollars last year. The numbers are a little skewed here. <laughs> so... Uh, I started looking into becoming an entrepreneur myself. I did not do that until after Dorothy and I got married, though. So I think that's a good segue right now to ask you about Dorothy. 
How did Dorothy come into your life, Brian? Pretty interesting story as well. <laughs> so Dorothy had been attending the church with her two sons that Jeannie and I were attending. And she was one of the women that just did things for us and brought meals to us. And uh, she was good friends with Jeannie. They actually went on a mission trip together. And uh, pretty, pretty amazing how things happened. So I started... It's about a year and a half after I started looking at, at her and she was looking at me and we knew we were looking at each other. And, and then she said, you know, Jeannie was my friend. I can't do this. I just can't do it. And uh, she, she ran as hard as she could. And, and I chased as hard as I could. And she slowed down a little bit. So I caught her. <laughs> when did you catch her? What did you do? Did you ask her out on a date or just work on stuff with church together or what happened? Well, at the time, she was actually working at a Taco Bell, and I would go in there for the Mexican pizzas, and she would just make mine special every time. So I knew there was something happening there. <laughs> so how many Mexican pizzas did you eat in that period? Probably about 25 pounds more than I should have had. <laughs> <laughs> how long after Jeannie had passed did the two of you finally know that you know this was the time that you were going to start dating? It was about a year after, and then... Uh, six months after that, we were married. So, Brian, tell me about Dorothy. What was she like? What was her background and what were her interests in life? Um, she had a very difficult upbringing. She, uh, you know, her childhood wasn't great. She had lived with grandparents and aunts and uncles. And, um, you know, she would tell me about the house not having uh, the whole floor in places. And, wow. you know, the food was never good. And, her father teaching her how to steal gas so that their family car could have gas. So she had a very difficult upbringing. You know, mine was a little different than that. We were a middle income family, but because my father worked three jobs, he worked his tail off to provide for his family and, and which taught me very well also. Um, and then her marriage before me was, uh, was highly volatile. And um, she was kind of a quiet, shy person when we first got together. And then uh, she learned that being around me, she could really kind of broaden her horizons. And, and boy, did she bloom and boy, did she blossom. <laughs> and when I told her, I said, you know, I really, I think we need to have our own water company. And she said, whatever you think, we're going to go for it. We weren't prepared financially. We just bought a house that we knew we couldn't afford. We stood on the back deck of this house before we purchased it and said, Lord, if this is your will, please show us how. And we went ahead and applied for the loan. And the next day we got approved. And uh, I was like, well, if he thinks we can afford it, we're going to make a way. <laughs> so wait now. So you've got a, a new wife. How many children together do you have at this point? So I had three girls. Mm -hmm. She had two boys. Okay, five kids, new company. Right. And being an entrepreneur can be pretty scary because there's always that chance that what you're going to invest in isn't going to make it right. Absolutely. Well, I mean, we didn't have anything to invest. We, we put a desk next to our bed. We had a great Dane who would lay on the bed and watch us contact customers and talk to people. We really didn't invest much because we didn't have much, but we worked very hard. We, um, I knew the business very well. I know how to take care of people. I know that you just go over and above anything ever expected of you in business and God will make a way. So that's what we focused on, treating our customers better than any other company would possibly do it. 
And uh, so we built it from absolutely nothing, a desk next to our bed to over a million dollars a year in business. So hard work pays off. Definitely. So what was your role in the company and what was Dorothy's role in the company? My role was making things happen, <laughs> going out and seeing customers, um, hiring technicians, you know, working with the installers. And uh, her role was all the things that I really hate, like sitting in front of a computer, taxes, payroll, those type of things that I really don't want to be involved in. <laughs> all the things that have to get done or everything crashes and burns, right? Yeah, well, that's exactly everything I was faced with not that long ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell us about your family life with Dorothy. What was that like? And how did your family grow from there? And what was important to Dorothy in life? Dorothy um, was all about God, family and country. That was her three main focuses. We both started working um, hard on conservative principles and candidates in our state. And uh, we took, at one point, once we, we bought some office buildings, uh, once we had the company up and rolling, and um, we loaded up five busloads of people at our office and took them up to Washington, D.C. for a rally. And she became a Republican chairperson. Really? And uh, what a, an amazing person she became. Unbelievable. She's active in her family, active in your church, right? And also yeah. she was active in her political beliefs as well. Right. Yeah. And what about the family? How was this blended family working at this time, Brian? Um, the blended family was working amazing. And then she said, you know, we don't have any children in between us. And I said, yeah, you're right. Isn't it nice? <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't quite on board with that. But, you know, I said, I understand there's a half a million children in our country that don't have a home. They're in foster care. Why don't we look into that? So she agreed. So we started doing foster care. We had um, several kids, you know, as temporary placements come and go. And we had an emergency placement uh, at Christmas one year. And it was two sisters. And they were exactly a year and apart. And um, they came to stay with us. And so we had to go out and do some really quick Christmas shopping for them which, you know, spoiling kids, that, that's an honor too. And uh, we, we truly enjoyed it. So uh, we brought them into our home and, um, you know, we asked them, is, is this a problem that you're black and, and we're white? And they said, no, we don't, we don't care. So from day one, they called us mom and dad. They had a very troubled past. Uh, some, some bad habits they had formed in different homes that they'd been in. And, um, you know, we got them past all that and now they're both unbelievable young ladies. One works at a uh, for law enforcement down in Goldsboro, North Carolina, and uh, the other is a is a mom, not too far from us in Virginia. That's great. So let me see three daughters right. that you brought to the marriage: Dorothy, two sons, right. and now you have two daughters together, adopted. Yes, and we assumed that we were finished, mm -hmm. but then about. Oh, I think a year and a half to two years after that, actually, there's a magazine called Virginia Magazine. They uh, put us on the cover of their magazine and did a story on our family uh, because there were eight homes, actually, that would not keep our last two adopted girls. Um, they weren't willing to deal with the behaviors. Well, we said, we're going to make this happen. 
And we did. So they put us in that magazine and told the story about, about our family. And then we got a call from an organization in Richmond, Virginia called Children's Home Society. And they said, there's a little girl in your town and her mother just doesn't want to keep her. And we're like, all right, send her. We're going to make this happen. So that was number eight. And all of the kids are either a C or a J, their name. They all start with a C or a J. Now, it didn't start out that way. The adopted children had, they could have any name they wanted to. Uh, so eight, eight children. Eight children. That is amazing, Brian. You and Dorothy, <laughs> you had your hands full with eight children, a company that you were getting off the ground, maintaining a household, being active in your church, being active in the community as well. Dorothy could juggle a thousand things at once with no issue whatsoever. She was absolutely amazing at that. So how long were you and Dorothy married? We were married for 21 years and eight months. You were quite the team together. Um, wasn't a good marriage. I tell people that all the time. It was an amazing, fantastic, unbelievable marriage. We were the couple that didn't argue, didn't fight. We just, we were a team in every possible way. We are an absolute team. And our focuses were the same and our drives were the same. Um, and we accomplished it by, you know, she had her strong points doing her computer work and taxes and payrolls. And I had my strong points and just making business happen and, and managing. And um, like I said, it just worked together as, as an amazing team. Brian, that's great. Now, in 2021, sadly, the COVID pandemic that hit us, Dorothy was affected by that. Your whole family was affected by it. If you're okay, can you take us through that, sure. that process where Dorothy got sick? It started with me, actually, two years prior. I think I, I was one of the first, probably, that I know of that had COVID. The doctors didn't know what it was. They told me they thought I was having congestive heart failure because I was short of breath all the time. So that's been two years now. So when Dorothy had gotten it last August, I had it at the same time. That was my second time having it. Um, I had the antibody test done shortly after that. And they said, yes, you, you've had it twice. So because I had the antibodies, you know, I got over it in a couple of days. And for her, it just set in and just got worse and worse and worse. And, uh, you know, she said she's just having too much of a trouble breathing. So we went to a uh, uh, dock in a box, they call it. It was basically right around the corner from our house. And, um, you know, once they did the oxygen levels of her blood, they said, you know, we need to get her to the hospital now. It'll take the ambulance too long. Just put her in the car and take her right away. So we did that. And uh, it was a very challenging time. Yeah. So, Brian, one of the reasons why we reached out to you to have you tell us your story is because my wife, Kelly, who was a classmate of yours in high school. Yes saw that you were posting on Facebook, telling the story from your heart about the journey you were going through, visiting Dorothy in the hospital and caring for her and being there for her. And uh, we were both so moved by how honest and sincere you were to be telling the story about Dorothy and who she was to you and to others and about her illness, which turned out to be her 
final illness. Could you tell us what in you stirred to have you share your heart like that? Well, Darcy and I had a, um, we had a lot of friends all over the country and all over the world in different places in different states. Um, you know, we had other businesses, some internet-based businesses, and uh, we'd reached some, some pretty good levels in some of those. So those friends were, were kind of spread out. And, uh, you know, I was constantly getting calls every day, all day. How's Dorothy? How's Dorothy? And I was in the hospital room with her every single day. I promised her that I would be there for her every day. And I just didn't go to work. And I said, I'm going to be here. And I was there was until the hospital made me leave every night. But, but I stayed with her as, as much as I could every day. So rather than having uh, 300 phone calls and texts a day, and not being able to provide uh, the care I needed to give my wife, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do an update at least once a day from her room. And that's what I did. I never showed her because she wouldn't have wanted me to. But I would walk around the room and I would show the um, um, all the different instruments and the, the things that monitors that she was on. And you know, eventually she ended up on the, on the ventilator and I would show the settings on that. And I talk about the ups and the downs and some days were great and some days were not great. And um, it, it was, it was quite the journey. And I tell you, we really developed quite a following at some point. There was, you know, a couple thousand people watching me every day from her hospital room. And uh, like I said, well, people from 34 states and I think in 11 countries, we had people praying for her. So uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it was something. It it was something, and uh, it was very inspirational because it just was it was heartwarming to see your love for her. I did not know Dorothy, and uh, I didn't know you. I didn't know you, Brian, but watching you just got this sense that uh, you know you were all your emotion was coming out. It was not at, at all like a you know rehearsed or whatever. It was just pouring your heart out. How did that yeah. help you, Brian, cope with? what you were going through, which was real sadness. Well, I tell you, the amount of people that not only reached out to uh, pray for Dorothy and uh, do things like that, I had, I had one lady send um, several scarves so that when she got out of the hospital, it would cover the, the scar for her tracheotomy. And, you know, we're just amazing people. And um, knowing there were that kind of people in the world, how does that not help anybody? You know, you, you have to feel loved and you have to understand that our world is full of good, giving, caring, loving people. Amen. You know, there's a lot of the other, but you know what? It depends on what you're going to focus on. And I was able to focus on the loving and the caring people that were, were sharing that with Dorothy and I. And it was, it was pretty amazing. It was heartwarming for me as well. That's beautifully said. If you want to look for bad, you'll find it. But if you choose to look for the good, there's plenty of it out there. I've seen my own community reach out to families who had had tragedies with a lot of love, a lot of love and caring. And it sounds like that was sustaining you to feel the love from other people. It was. How was Dorothy during her illness? What was her outlook? How did she feel? Up until the point where she got put on the, um, the uh, ventilator, she was doing fairly well. Uh, but her oxygen levels were dropping. And um, really, at that point, we didn't feel like we had a choice. You know, the way the doctors put it to us, if she doesn't go on a ventilator, she may not live two more days. Well, 
you know, at that point, that's scary enough where you really don't have a choice. So that was, that's what we had to do. And, um, you know, she was pretty much sedated from that point on. Um, give me a second. Yeah, no, I'll take your time, Brian. She looked at me one day and, and mouthed the words, I'm sorry. It was, she knew she was leaving me and she was saying she was sorry. That's the kind of heart she had. Thinking about you. Yeah. Hmm. And the family and the business and everything else that she was, you know, so critical in. Yeah. Selfless. She, she was all heart until the end. And, you know, every single day I made sure whether she was home and with me for the last 21 years and eight months, or she was in a hospital every single day, I made sure my wife knew that I loved her. I didn't let a day go by where she didn't know that. And I, and I hope to God that that's, you know, what maybe husbands and wives will get out of this. Don't let a day go by where your loved ones don't know that you love them. That is so important what you're saying, Brian, because we have the trials and tribulations of everyday life. And sometimes people either say unkind things to people they love very much, or they don't say anything. Right. And when they leave or they, oh, well, they know I, they know I love them. Maybe they have to hear it. Sometimes they need to hear it. Yeah. And actions sometimes though mean so much more than words. You know, I always say that about, uh, about dogs, you know, dogs are to me, it's one of God's gifts to humans to show us just a glimmer of his unconditional love, but dogs can't talk to us. They show us their love through action, not through words. So a lot of times it's the action and, and for me, my action was being there with her every single day. So she knew she was loved. That's wonderful. That really is. And how long, Brian, was Dorothy in the hospital? Two and a half months. During the end, she was concerned about leaving you and how that would affect you. And that's showing so much selflessness. But earlier on, was she hopeful about the situation? Oh, absolutely. When they put her on the ventilator, they said the average time on the ventilator is two weeks. And she said, well, that's nothing. I'll be out of here in a week. But that's the way she lived her life. Always positive, always upbeat, always caring, always giving, always loving. And not until the very end did she feel that, you know, this was probably it. And she was concerned about you yeah. and your family. Yeah. yeah. One of the neat things that, that kind of happened from the videos that I was posting on Facebook um, from Dorothy's room, you know, several of them People wanted to know, how did we develop that kind of love? And um, so I started doing videos on, on loving, how to love your spouse. And um, even after Dorothy passed, I, I continued on trying to be upbeat, motivational, inspirational to people and, and to build their marriages. Because if I could help somebody in their marriage, um, my gosh, what a great devotion that is to Dorothy and, and the amazing person she was. So I started doing videos um, a little more uplifting and motivational and inspirational. And um, I've backed off of them a little bit. I did one yesterday. It just so happens that today is Dorothy's birthday. So uh, kind of an interesting time for us to be doing this. But, um, you know, as I said earlier, my kids are absolutely amazing. And um, some of them have set up happy birthday signs in their house with balloons. Um, almost all of them are having cake uh, in honor of her today. Amazing family. You know, tight as can be. All the kids, all eight kids, just tight as can be. 
doesn't matter where they came from, doesn't matter where they started, matters where they end, and and they're building strength upon each other. So it's uh, it's been pretty good. Well, I suspect you and Dorothy had a lot to do with that, frankly. Mostly her. She dragged me along, <laughs> kicking and screaming. <laughs> and I'm going to do everything I can to find a cake today, too, because uh, any reason to have cake is a good reason. Yeah, I'll say, I'll say. Thank you, Brian, for being willing to speak with us, particularly on this day, on, on Dorothy's birthday. We feel very honored that you did that. Thank you. Brian, how did knowing Dorothy, being married to her for 21 years, impact you and the person you are today? How are you different? Uh, she had a reach for the stars attitude. And, um, you know, for me, I'd always been, I'd always believed in hard work and going over and above anything ever expected of you in your workplace, in your family, in your marriage. But to her, that was just the start. It was always reached for the stars. There's more we can do. There's more we can accomplish. There's more people that we can bless in other ways. And, uh, you know, that, that rubbed off on me. And I believe it rubbed off on hundreds of people around her, just seeing that within her personality. All the people that remember her, I mean, that she's going to be impacting their lives as long as they're alive. And hopefully things will get passed down from generation to generation, how she lived her life, because it's important. And it's, it's, uh, it's a blessed way to live, uh, just with that grateful attitude towards life. You're right. I think uh, it's almost contagious when someone is like that, when you're around them a lot. You know yourself that if you're around somebody who's negative, looking at the half empty, even people who are, say are ungrateful or what have you right. it can be contagious. And sometimes maybe I'm, sometimes I've been a complainer and maybe ungrateful. And I, I, I worry now who, who may I have impacted during that little phase I had or what have sure. you. I think we should be really thinking about how we act in front of people and how easy it is to overlook the many blessings that we have and just think about what we don't have or what we wish we had. I actually did a video on that yesterday about, you know, what are you listening to and what are you telling yourself or who are you listening to? Because so many people are just listening to negative Nellies all around them and it's rubbing off on them. And they're, you know, then they start saying negative things themselves. Like one of those things I mentioned today, you know, I hear a lot of people say, I have a terrible memory, you know, and then they go on and say it over and over and over again. And, and it turns out that they do because they're instilling that within their own heart. Well, to me, well, how do you remember you have a bad memory? You know? Good point. <laughs> so if, if you had a bad memory, you wouldn't remember that. But, you know, don't keep saying the negative stuff because that's what comes to fruition in your life. Always instill positive things. Uh, speak positive over your family. It's huge. It's critical to never speak um, bad language, anger, those type of things in front of your children, especially, or your grandchildren. You know, families have issues, but there are ways to handle it where it won't scar your children or grandchildren for the rest of their life and get passed down generationally. It can be done in a manner where it's um, calm and peaceful and actually end up with a good hug and kiss is always good too. Yes. Amen. Amen to that. Brian, what do you think Dorothy would have wanted her legacy to be? Definitely the message of God, family, and country, you know, the importance of those things, 
her legacy will live on a little bit with our, uh, definitely with our, our new business. Um, we started uh, just over a year ago and uh, it's up and running nicely now. It's called Reef and Peace. And um, the, surprisingly enough, I'm, I'm in the a type of burial business. And what we do actually is we have families that send us their loved ones cremated remains from all around the country. And I have reef sites in Florida. I have reef sites in South Carolina and Virginia. So the families can decide where they want their loved one to be forever. And we don't just sprinkle the ashes. It actually gets put inside of a memorial that's made out of mostly natural products, crushed oyster shells, coral calcium from Florida, uh, and, a, and a mortar mix that's an environment, environmentally friendly mortar mix. And uh, we put them on a reef site where they actually, it's not, um, it's not earth friendly, it's earth beneficial. We're actually benefiting the environment by providing structure for fish to thrive around and hide and you know, barnacles and seagrass and oysters. And in Florida, we may have some coral growth on our memorials too. So we're actually benefiting the environment, which is which is just a, a cool legacy for everyone to leave. That is. What a wonderful idea. I mean, it helps the environment. Yes. It helps the families. It, it certainly, yes. you know, you're, you've got somebody's remains, earthly remains, and then you're actually having a sea life growth around it. That's kind of a, that's a really interesting idea and i wish you all the best in that business what's the name of the business again brian reef in peace instead of rest in peace reef in peace and i actually you... got the idea from my father did you he was uh he was living in virginia beach at the time and i i went to his house to visit and uh he was working in his little workshop he had and i said what are you doing dad and he said i'm mixing peat i said what do you mean you're mixing peat he said well this is my best friend pete's ashes and I'm putting him in a bucket of cement because he wants to be in his favorite fishing hole. And I said, wow, that is completely illegal. <laughs> but what a great idea. So, you know, it's just taken a few years to get through the Army Corps of Engineers. The In Virginia, you have the VMRC, the Virginia Marine Resource Commission, and then, you know, the uh, EPA. And then in Florida, you have to have a contract with different counties to work on their artificial reefs. So lots and lots of hoops to jump through. And we have jumped through all the hoops and we are up and running and we're putting in memorials each and every month. I wish you all the best with that business. You've got your family to be caring for and taking care of uh, emotionally. Well, you take care of each other now. You know, they're all yeah. grown up. My kids are amazing. But you've been telling me about the business and you've actually started to do more social media talking about some of the important things in life, like being positive, you know, being kind to people and married people saying kind things to each other and making a habit of it. You know, you've undergone a huge, this is a second huge loss that you've experienced, you know, to lose two women who were so important to you. Let me ask you, how are you doing now, Brian? How are you doing? We have days where um, I'm doing okay. I mean, there's never an hour or a minute that I don't think about it, but you know, I have big ups and I have big downs. And as uh, long as I stay focused on other people and helping other people and building my business and, and being with my children and grandchildren, you know, all those things keep me focused and positive and, you know, being grateful for my family, being grateful for God's love. You know, all, there's so much to be grateful for in the middle of tragedy. There's still things to be grateful for. And, and I look at those things that I can be grateful for rather than the tragedy, because I had 21 years and eight months of amazing Right. I, you know, I could have, could have not had that, but, but I did have it. 
so ungrateful. Thank you for saying that. And Brian, maybe good to end on this. I had read the obituary, the memorial in the paper for Dorothy. And in that article, it mentioned her favorite Bible verse is Philippians 4.13. Could you tell us what that favorite verse says? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. (laughs) She believed she could, and she would work at it. Whatever it was she wanted to accomplish, either herself or with me as a team or with uh, other friends and building other businesses that we've worked on, she could accomplish all things. Well, thank you, Brian. This has been just an amazing conversation. I, I mean, it, it's tough because I see the tragedy that you went through and the difficulty, but that you're pulling inspiration and love uh, out of it. And you're trying to pass that on to other people, pass on what you had with Dorothy to other people. And I just think that's wonderful what you're doing. I hope you continue to do your posts on Facebook. Do you do it just through Facebook or do you do it other ways? Right now I'm doing it through Facebook. Um, I've had a lot of people tell me I need to do a blog. I I don't know how, I don't know, (laughs) but you know, I can learn anything. Um, But you know, part of getting this uh, important message about positivity in life and and gratitude, um, I have to thank you for it because you know, you're one of the ways now this is getting out. So I I really appreciate you doing this as well. Well, it's an honor for us to do this for you because it is such an important message and we appreciate you for taking the time to tell Dorothy's story on her birthday, on her birthday. Yes. We will get a cake today because, um, you know, there's always any excuse to eat cake is a good thing. And uh, Dorothy's birthday is a great reason to have some cake. <laughs> Did she have a favorite type of cake? Uh, she was a chocolate person. She loved chocolate. Chocolate cake, chocolate icing, chocolate everything. She liked chocolate. (laughs) Well, thank you again, Brian. And we really appreciate you speaking with us. And we'll be looking forward to watching more of your posts and all the encouragement that comes through them. I appreciate that. Have a fantastic day. You too. Bye now. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Your History, Your Story. You can connect with us on Facebook and YouTube at Your History, Your Story, or on Instagram and Twitter at YHYS Podcast. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions, comments, or a story to tell. Be well and God bless.